Welcome to Leadership Spotlight Season 2, a podcast that shines the spotlight on L&D and HR leaders across geographies and industries. We dig deep into learning and development practices followed by leaders to overcome skilling challenges, meet business objectives, and bring change at scale so you can fine-tune your training strategy, hone your skills, and be an impactful L&D leader. So lean in and lead on. The future of work is here. Employees need to be upskilled and future-proof today for the changing world of tomorrow. And playing a key role in this are the L&D professionals who not just have to be the change makers, but have to be continuous learners as they cater to both the workforce and their own skilling and development. As they build a future-ready workforce, they have to become a future-ready L&D professional themselves. Vijay Gogoi, Executive Director and Lead at KPMG Academy, explains how. With over 22 years of experience in management consulting, sales, talent development, general management and even technology entrepreneurship, Vijay has been an advisor to Fortune 100 and Blue Chip clients on strategic talent and L&D issues and has led the implementation of large initiatives. His work experience traverses industries and regions, from telecom and financial service to retail, and from India to Indonesia, UK, US, and South Africa. Our current global situation has amplified the need for a future-ready, a digital-savvy L&D professional. Before we dig deep into that piece, let's begin by understanding the role and expectations of L&D a couple of years back. Yeah, sure. Um... If you look at uh, the role of L&D, it kind of mirrored the, the situation that businesses found themselves in. Uh, you know, if you look at two or even five years ago, uh, the rate of adoption of digital or the rate of change in business models, etc., was you know was there, but not not a lot. I mean, it was I would say uh, a little more stable than what it is right now. The pace of change today is very very fast for L&D professionals three, four, five years ago, would typically be responsible for doing uh, some kind of a needs analysis in the beginning of the year. And, and that kind of set the whole calendar for the whole year. And then, you know, you would identify programs, et cetera. And then the job would be to go ahead and execute that uh, to perfection. So uh, that was by and large what the role is. And of course, there were, uh, you know, there was this expectation of trying to, you know, trying to show uh, show uh, the benefits of the training, doing the ROI and managing the whole process very uh, seamlessly. Uh, but what has happened in, in today's day and age, and especially after the pandemic, what has happened is uh, it has, uh, you know, the rate of change has increased, the rate of adoption of digital has increased exponentially. And the jobs have changed, the skill requirements have changed, and they're changing at a very fast pace, right? So the expectation of L&D is really to enable and support the organization at this rate of change. That's the fundamental uh, difference in, in what has, uh, where it was more, uh, I would say, a stable sort of a you know, journey. Right now, there's a lot more agility required, a lot more, um, I would say, ability to sense and being keenly tuned into what's going on in the business. So that's how I would characterize the two. 
So what I hear you say is uh, L&D was largely a one-size-fits-all approach where everything was decided even prior to the calendar year or the fiscal year, whichever way we look at that. And uh, training was rolled out as a part of the entire operations. And now where we are going to is more of a, a tuned-in approach where we are reading the market conditions, where we are reading the user behavior and training and tweaking our training strategy accordingly. How do you find the correlation between um, the technology change, user behavior, and how L&D then has to adapt to this? Because, of course, we speak, spoke of COVID, and there are multiple other changes that happened in the last year itself. But largely, uh, what is also happening, in my opinion, is a huge behavioral change You know, that is also setting a tone for what should happen in L&D. Do you find some correlations there? How do you see that go ahead in the future? Yeah, I, I think uh, so. If you look at it uh, right now, the, the the realization or the appreciation of uh, employees in general or professionals in general that you know that they have to constantly be relevant for the market, constantly be relevant to the organization. That realization has come in uh, seeped in, uh, you know, a lot, and 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 people actually they want to make sure that uh, you know they are constantly relevant and because of which because of which they need to be you know almost like reinventing themselves like you know the people you know you you read a lot of literature where people are saying that it's not just one career anymore you might have to reinvent yourself every few years to kind of um, make sure that you are in line with what the market demands now so that is the expectation or that is the expectation of the business expectation of the employees and LND has to uh, meet that expectation. And a few other trends which are also, which are very relevant here, is that nowadays, everybody is uh, very used to content being available, uh, you know, either freely or in abundance, definitely in abundance. And uh, free content, as well as, you know, even if it's paid content, I mean, content is just available in abundance today. So it's no longer so much about, you know, LMD sometimes to build content and all that. It's not so much about the content is already available. But the what the expectation is, is to make sure that that content or whatever tools that we use, they are relevant to the business in in some way, right? In, in uh, Not in some way, actually, it's re relevant to the business and helps them achieve their goals. So, so the role of the LMD professional is actually to, Kind of stitch together different parts of a solution that will meet a business issue that will solve a business issue that will solve a performance issue so the way i think about it is that the lnd person is basically a consultant uh, more and more they're they're being seen in organizations as a consultant to solve a certain performance issue and the consultant is agnostic to tools agnostic to um, you know source of content the consultant is looking only at how do I solve this problem, right? And that's the fundamental, I would say, change change that is happening to the L&D profession. Uh, apart from being a consultant, the L&D professional is also an integrator, integrator of technology, content, uh, behavior, uh, behavior change approaches, user adoption, all of that different strategies put together. The, the, the L&D professional has to bring everything together to, to solve a particular business problem. Absolutely. And, you know, I would like to push further on the word consultant that you just said, um, because I think what it also hints to is we need LND to become more of a decision maker and have a seat of the table than just being the proverbial uh, order takers, as they have been called. Do you think that is where that is the direction in which LND professionals should go in or 
what else do you think is happening? Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. I think um, uh, in a lot of organizations in the past, uh, LND sometimes, not actually, not sometimes, most of the times played a role for coordinator. Um, and when I say coordinator, what what would mean that the the actual requirements um, uh, requirements of the business uh, is actually done by the business, and they say that okay, hey, I want training on this this uh, topics or these these subject areas, uh, and the LND will then uh, you know go out and either create content or they will go out to the market and source some vendors who will deliver such and such training, right? Uh, now that approach, um, I don't think is going to work. And when people are demanding more, and what they are demanding is that, okay, hey, you know what, my, uh, you know, let's say if I take sales as an example, my conversion rate is not happening. Uh, you know, it's not the desired conversion rate. So then, how do I, how do I solve this issue of conversion? So then, the, uh, the expectation is that LND will uh, work with the business to identify what is the issue. A conversion rate is it a is it a product issue is it a skill issue is it is it a issue of some process whatever it is do that performance consulting uh, bit and identify what is the solution and the solution need not always be that i have to send so many people for training the solution can be something else it could be a process change it could be more let's say the, the solution could be just in time content the solution could be uh, more coaching, uh, you know, it could be different things, right? But the LND professional actually has to figure that out and then see what are, what is the best solution that is available in the market, take those and stitch something together and try and solve the problem. So that's the, that's the shift. Yeah, so what this tells me is the L&D professional uh, himself or herself needs to evolve as the technology and the world evolves. So let's personify this new age L&D professional, can we? Yeah. Uh, let's say in terms of the persona or the skill sets overall, do you have any ideas as to how people can approach this overall change? Yes, um, I, I think there are some, I would say, core skills that, that the L&D professionals should have, right? Uh, and there'll be some, uh, you know, I, what I would say is like power skills that, that they need to have. So if I look at core skills, and this is not something new. This is not something new, but uh, core skills in L&D professional definitely needs to have a very good understanding of how L&D operates, the overall operating model. They need to have a very good understanding of how learning solutions typically work. Uh, how do you do a needs analysis? How do you? How will you do instructional design? Uh, what drives learning culture? How do you measure impact? So these are some of the core skills that a learning professional should absolutely have. And it's not very different from what uh, the core skills a few years ago people would have. The only twist in the core skills would be given that more and more people uh, are almost 100% organizations actually ventured into virtual training because of the pandemic and it is not going to shift back to classroom anytime soon. I think the, the understanding of how virtual programs work, how to design them so that they're engaging and then, you know, how to actually make sure that, uh, you know, the engagement and the adoption is still there. So those are some of the nuances that the LND professional has to really understand and, and be skilled in. So that's on the core skills. On the overall, uh, I would say, you know, I'm just using the term power skills, but what the LND professional needs to know is, first of all, definitely have to have good consulting skills. And when I say good consulting skills, uh, what it means is, you know, the person has to be able to 
solve problems in a very structured fashion right and to solve problems first of all you have to have this ability and the skill to you know find out what is the key question what is the key problem that you're trying to solve distill from all the facts and all the noise that you might hear about a particular problem and figure out what is the core issue and once you have identified the core issue use uh, different tools or different mechanisms to break down the problem and solve the problem you know so so in, in a very structured sort of a fashion now it's not just um, uh, you know important just to solve the problem or, or find a solution to a particular problem it's also important to first communicate what you're trying to do right so uh, being able to communicate with your stakeholders uh, and communicate in the right fashion so that your uh, solution is accepted etc that's also another very key component of the whole consulting skills once you've done that i think the other very critical uh, ability is being able to influence when you do not have authority over people or the stakeholder and that's a situation that people will find themselves lnd professionals find themselves all the time uh, some business that you're working with you know you will definitely not have control over the let's say the cfo or the head of sales or any other function but you still have to influence them you have to influence them to not only about your solution that you're proposing, it, you also have to influence them about implementation, which is very, very critical. Uh, so that's the, you know, th th that's a very key piece of being able to influence without authority. The third thing would be being very comfortable with data. As you know, like, you know, the amount of data that current digital age and the digital tools generate is humongous, right? You know, whether it's a learning management system, whether it's sales or anything, the data that is generated it is is a lot. Now, I think LND professionals need to have very solid skills in terms of being able to turn the data into insights and uh, you know basically use it to visualize the data, uh, you know interpret the data, and also tell a story about that data using that data so that you can actually you know talk about the problem, talk a look at trends, bring out insights, and so on and so forth. Right. So that's the Two other skills, uh, again, very important. It's not, I would say it's new, uh, but I think the importance of it has become very, very, you know, very high, uh, which is ability to manage finances, understanding of finances uh, and how budgets work and how, you know, the LND has to very, LND professionals will have to have a very keen understanding of uh, what is a PL, what is a balance sheet, uh, how does the cash flow work, how do I set up budgets, how do I control budgets, and so on and so forth. The finance angle needs to be very clear. And the third, uh, the last thing I would say project management. Absolutely critical to make sure that, you know, the projects that you take up, the it has to be executed on time, on budget, uh, given that, you know, there's a lot of focus on uh, costs and a lot of focus on speed and the quality of solutions as, as well. So uh, I think LND professionals need to have very, very strong project management skills. So if I, you know, look at the overall thing, yeah, you definitely need to have a good core domain skills of LND. Very have to understand all the adult learning principles, instructional design, and the processes, et cetera, all of that. But you also have to be able to use data appropriately, uh, use consulting skills to figure out solutions, and then manage the projects, manage uh, the stakeholders, and manage the budgets that you have been given. So that's the kind of a holistic sort of, a, uh, I would say, persona that we are looking at in the future. Absolutely. I think LND does have to wear many hats as we go ahead in the future. So uh, I'm just going to reframe everything that you said very quickly into different buckets. So uh, LND needs to think like an innovator, design like an architect. 
perhaps communicate like a marketeer, measure like a scientist. And again, I'm sure there are multiple other hats that I'm not mentioned, but this is just a very few uh, that need to be there for every L&D professional. Which I'm just very curious to know how this human-centric approach, especially as technology becomes a table stake for all of us, come in play. Because uh, technology definitely helps us and it's a good enabler. But how can L&D professionals then ensure that the empathy component and all the soft skill components of training and L&D are also checked off? I would view it slightly differently. So from an L&D standpoint, the most important thing that L&D professionals need to have in mind is a, a user-centric approach. So whenever you're designing any solution, whenever you're designing any sort of trying to solve any sort of a problem, you'll need to keep the end user in mind. Uh, and this is a, is a thing that a lot of great businesses, Google, everybody you know, tries to keep the user in mind before designing anything. And I think that's applicable even for L&D. And let me give an example. Let's say you are you know, designing finance academy for your finance workforce. You have to design the solution for the finance professional who is in your, in your workforce. That person has to see value in what you're doing value you know and the value can come from multiple things one is you know the training that you're doing is directly relevant for that person the person you know the experience of the person while going through the training or going going through all the finance academy courses or programs etc that experience has to be very good and at the end of it the person has to perceive a lot of value in terms of value added in terms of uh, the professional growth of himself or herself right so and, and that is what needs to be uh, kept in mind when a person would look at. And then that, and if you keep a user-centric approach, you, you will do whatever is required to add that value. It could be soft skills that they have to be added. It could be hard skill. It could be something around data. It could be on AI or, or digital technologies, et cetera, et cetera, all of that. So all of the other ele are different elements of how you can create a great user experience for that individual. Right. That's how I would say the approach should be. Understood. So, um, you know, because we spoke so elaborately on overall workforce training and of course, L&D is a key part of that, how they plan is going to be critical to the success of the business itself. Let's speak about uh, the skilling and development for L&D professionals, because oftentimes while uh, there is a crafting and designing of a strategy for the workforce, do you think L&D themselves become blindsided to their own growth and skilling? And if yes, how can they maneuver that so that they are able to be one step ahead or at least in sync with the times? Yeah, I think it's a very interesting point that you uh, bring up. A lot of times you'll uh, see that um, there's a lot of money spent on various workforces, uh, whether it's sales or finance or supply chain or whatever, right? Uh, and then uh, the people who really get left out are the L&D folks, right? So while L&D professionals do end up going to, let's say, a leadership program or uh, some of the more generic sort of programs in a typical company, uh, a very specific uh, programs that uh, help in their professional development sometimes get left out. Uh, and there could be also a reason because it, usually L&D, uh, the L&D function is probably not as big as the other functions, let's say sales or finance or customer service. So, you know, so sometimes they do get left out. But having said that, I think there needs to be a very conscious focus on making sure that your L&D function, people who are in your, and they're very key, uh, they're very key to the overall success of the firm. 
right of, of the organization you have to take a very concerted effort in making sure that they uh, they are actually being upskilled to uh, stay in tune with the times in, uh, in stay in tune with the requirements otherwise what will happen is uh, you will end up with you know solutions that are not optimal uh, and you wouldn't have been able to take advantage of the advances in technology in learning technology or uh, or the use of content or uh, various other advancements that you see today for um, your for the benefit of your uh, company's learning and development so that's the risk that you run it is not something that is uh, immediately apparent to someone right but over a course of time you will uh, you will suddenly see that your capability development efforts uh, might get hampered so hence you know if i were the lnd leader or the hr leader i would absolutely focus on my lnd team and to you know kind of upskill them on the you know some of the key elements that i spoke about whether it's consulting skills whether it's a, a use of analytics or whether it is uh, the use of digital and so on and so forth. Absolutely. Let's dig a bit deeper into the same point. So um, as an L&D professional, I'm aware of my upskilling needs, but how do I get the management buy-in? That's one, because especially today when costs will continue to be a constraint uh, for most organizations, how can they secure that approval and the buy-in from the management that their skilling and um, the training is also a key part of the agenda? So I, I think um, it's the same approach that you will follow to get the buy-in. The good thing is that, you know, given that L&D teams are not uh, as large as the some of the other teams, you know, the budgets required for training of L&D is usually not, should not be a very big amount, right? But even then, I think the, you know, the business case to be made is, uh, is to say that, okay, you know, if we, let's say, for example, we, uh, you know, you want to attend a course, let's say, on analytics, right? You know, the, the business case is fairly straightforward. There's so much of data which is available. And um, and how do I make sure that doing a course in LMD gives us better insights, and that better insights may lead to X Y Z benefits for the you know for the company, right? So that's how you will uh, you know make the case uh, for it. Uh, given that you know I'm just taking the example of analytics, and yeah, because you know you say so much of data, and uh, we are uh, this particular program is going to help us generate insight, and in which can lead to potential solutions, etc. So that's how we'll do it. I think it also calls for a change in the perception because I think even today, uh, L&D is looked upon as a cost center. So we need to change the perception for which I believe all of the skills and the things you said with regards to communication, influencing, ensuring that everyone understands the bigger picture is communicated seamlessly to all parties. Yeah. Before we go um, to the last question, uh, Vijay, I just want to understand what is your leadership mantra? How do you view leadership in light of what we discussed and in general too? Uh, so, if I were to kind of put down what my leadership mantra is, I think it would be to uh, focus on the focus on the people that who are working with you, right? Focus uh, on, when I say focus on them, basically to look at what their capabilities are, and then give them the right level of uh, autonomy to make them flourish, and just give them the autonomy to perform, right? So that's that's typically how I approach um, because you know if I'm leading a team uh, I you know obviously I can't do everything and the the success of the team really depends uh, depends on each and every individual so I would want I would give them the right guidance coaching uh, and um, you know and help them achieve their goals 
at the same time, what I uh, usually do uh, is that um, create a shared vision, um, create a vision which is communicated to the entire team and get their buy-in that once the vision is shared and owned by everyone uh, and I give them the uh, necessary uh, level of, I would say, responsibility and autonomy to do, do their particular you know, role. I think um, a lot of targets you know, can be achieved, uh, great things can be achieved and usually magic happens. Uh, and I'll, I'll just give you an example. Long time back in my career, I was doing a project where I was a team member who wasn't really, um, I would say, had performed very well in the previous year, right? But when she came to my team, one of the things that I did, and I can't say that I did it on purpose or with a you know design you know like it was not like a uh, what should i say um it was not done out of design but i had to do it because i didn't have any choice i gave that person a very visible sort of a responsibility it was a kind of a risk for me but i at that point i didn't have a choice because of some constraints etc but given the fact that I gave so much of responsibility and visibility to this person and showed so much of trust, that person actually hit the ball out of the park and was one of the best performing team members, right? But that kind of opened up a, you know, kind of it was a great learning experience for me because what it really taught me is that if you give somebody the right level of responsibility and show trust, people usually perform very, very well. And then that's what I've tried to follow throughout my career. Well said. With that, we are at the end of the interview. Thank you so much for your candid thoughts and opinions and insights. I'm sure this will be a great value add to all L&D professionals out there. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pranjali. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to Leadership Spotlight. To learn how you can go from learning to leading, visit www.plethoralearning.com. See you next time.